Hey there, welcome to Not Your Ordinary Girl, a podcast for professionals looking to find their voice, define their brand, and maximize their impact. Episodes are a collection of lessons from real life, interviews with people doing incredible things, tips and tools to get you on your way to realizing your infinite career possibilities. Hey there. So today we're going to be talking about traveling. Hello out there to all my fellow road warriors. I traveled quite a bit for probably 10, 12 years, starting off domestically and then almost only internationally, about 50 to 80% of the time. So I've developed a lot of different kind of cheats that I've used over the year on how to how to pack and different ways to adjust to time zones and and dealing with delays and things like that in the airport and all of that fun that comes along with travels. And I figured this information might be helpful to those of you that are doing work travel, those of you that are traveling regularly, or even those of you that are just getting ready to take your family on a on a holiday somewhere and thought that some of these tips might help. Let's start with before the trip and packing. I get made fun of because I like to pack a couple of days in advance. And this is something that kind of evolved. I'm sure all of us are familiar with that feeling when you get into the car or get into the taxi or get on the airplane and you have that weight on your shoulders telling you that you have forgotten something and you just cannot figure out what it is. And sometimes you go through your whole trip and don't realize what it is. Perhaps there never was anything that you forgot. Perhaps you literally get up in the air on the airplane and remember, oh no, I forgot my uh, medicine or my favorite pillow or a shirt that I wanted to take, whatever it may be. So I started packing a few days in advance. Now I'm a list maker and I always have a list that I use for packing. Uh, For work travel, it was kind of a standard list. I had like a three, five, 10 or long-term trip list. And I, once I had one that worked, I just kind of used that and kept it on my computer. But even for vacation, I typically make a list for what is going in my suitcase and what is going in my carry-on. And even if I don't close up the suitcase and, and put all of the, all of the clothes in there, I typically start piling things up next to the suitcase and get everything organized a few days in advance. That way I'm looking at everything that's going in the suitcase and I have a few days to kind of get comfortable with what's going in there. And I found that that really made a difference with that feeling of that I forgot something because inevitably in the couple of days before I actually closed up the suitcase and and threw it in the car or the taxi or whatever, I would think of something, oh, I really want to bring this or, oh, I really want to bring that. But it also seemed to be helpful because in looking at all that I had out to go on trips, I noticed that sometimes I would take things away as well. So it really helped with overpacking because as I'm staring at nine shirts for a five-day trip, I'm thinking, do I really need nine shirts? Am I going to need a completely different outfit every evening as well as every day for this trip? Probably not. I am a carry-on packer whenever possible. I think I had it down to about 10 days in a carry-on suitcase when I was really traveling quite extensively. And mainly I, I just got tired of losing my luggage. 
and I was going to some places that, um, Republic of Georgia, for example, I went there and where I was working was not near where the airport was. It was a seven, eight hour drive and you land, you sleep in a hotel for about two hours to get a little bit of a nap and then you get in a car and you go. So if your luggage did not arrive with you on the plane, you're wearing whatever you have in your carry-on and whatever you wore for the entire time you're there. That was a hard lesson to learn. And I've seen many folks that I've traveled with over the years lose luggage and get it on the way home. And so I really try to carry on as much as possible. Sometimes you're just, you just can't. You're going for too long of a time or you're, you're going on a trip that requires multiple different types of wardrobes. I would go on some trips where I had to wear clothes that I could go out in the field in and then others where you were wearing suits to go to conferences and workshops. And that makes it really tricky to jam all of that in a small carry-on. So recognizing that sometimes you, you just need to check your bag. But it's also become very expensive to check bags. If you are not a frequent flyer or purchasing higher level tickets, a lot of airlines charge you for your checked baggage. That doesn't even count the time you spend standing around at baggage check at either your layover stops if you're going international or coming home and waiting for your bag to come home and sitting around at baggage terminal at 2 a.m. in the morning when you just want to get home. Okay, so those are all the reasons I like to to carry on. Now, most of my uh, men colleagues that I traveled with would argue that it's much more difficult for you guys to travel carry on because one pair of shoes basically takes up a significant part of that suitcase. I completely understand. Uh, the one challenge I would put to you for that is, can you not only bring one pair of shoes on some trips and perhaps you bring sneakers as well to go to the gym, right? So why not wear the dress shoes, pack the sneakers, and put your gym clothes in the sneakers? So now you've basically taken up a good portion of your suitcase, but you've also got some of your clothes already in the suitcase with the shoes. And then you have a little bit of room left for your for your uh, business attire. Again, little things like that. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about your suitcase here in just a minute. So... Packing a few days in advance and trying to carry on are two, two keys that I really tried to stick to. You know, in the post 9-11 days now, we have to pack all of our liquids in a Ziploc bag. And this is where I would argue in the ladies' suitcase, we need a little bit more space for toiletries and things like that, shampoo and whatnot, because most of us don't use the shampoo in a hotel. So we need more space for those kind of things where the guys have bigger shoes, but Oftentimes, you guys use a little bit less space in that department. So there are some trade-offs on how you can get things into your suitcase to make the most of your space. When I'm packing my suitcase, I am a big advocate of rolling your clothes. Um, it really helps, especially with business attire and things that you're worried about getting wrinkled. Most hotels have ironing boards and irons, at least in the United States. Outside, it becomes a little bit more challenging to make sure that you have an opportunity to be able to press your clothes. Uh, Europe, obviously, a lot of those hotels are fine, but when you get outside of Europe, sometimes it can be tricky to find hotels that have irons. Most of them have a service or have an agreement with 
uh, dry cleaning or cleaning services that will take your clothes and go and press them and, and do some some cleaning. But it's typically very, very expensive. At least for me, traveling mostly on government per diem, that's not covered. So that's coming out of your pocket. And when they want 12 US dollars to clean a pair of shorts, that's not really in my budget. So I found ways to try and make sure that I could keep my clothes as wrinkle-free as possible. Rolling is one of those ways you can do that. And you can look on YouTube. There's lots of videos on how to do this, but basically you just lay the clothes out on the bed. I always did it individually. I talked with folks and they do their suits combined or their their outfits combined and roll everything at once. I found that I, I got more wrinkles that way if I tried to group everything together. Play clothes, you know, your gym clothes, you want to throw a t-shirt and a pair of shorts, roll them up, stuff those in your sneakers. That's a different thing. It doesn't matter if your t-shirt's wrinkly at the gym, at least for me. And But for suits and shirts and your sport coats, those kind of things, I typically rolled them individually. I also, in trying to keep it with one pair of shoes, I also used a concept called pod packing or capsule packing. And again, this is all over Pinterest, all over the internet. You can look this up and find different ideas on how to do it. But basically the concept is that you are packing around one pair of shoes or one suit or one blazer, one color, whatever it is, you basically pick what your theme of your your trip outfits are going to be and dress around that. And it makes it easier to mix and match and minimize the amount of clothes. I always did it around my shoes, brown shoe trip or a black shoe trip. And I had one pair of black shoes that I would wear and I would pack, depending on the length of the trip, you know, maybe I pack a pantsuit and a skirt suit, four or five shirts, a sweater, that kind of thing, so that you can mix and match the different things around one or two suits. I would always bring tied packets And this would also help keep the amount of laundry that I would have in my suitcase down. Typically, I would use that for things like the clothes that I was sleeping in or my gym clothes. That way, I only had to pack one set of each. You could come home every morning after you work out at the gym or every evening and rinse those out with a little bit of Tide in the sink, hang them up on that clothesline that the the hotels typically have in the tub, have them dry overnight or through the day so that they would be there for you the next day. And, you know, maybe every three or four days do the pajamas that you're sleeping in. That way you only need to bring one set of gym clothes and one pair of pajamas. And that'll really minimize your space as well. But you're also not having to wear stinky clothes for the duration of your trip. Along with the the pod packing or the capsule packing. Again, if you bring shirts or sweaters and things that you can mix and match, perhaps you wear a shirt once or twice. Again, it depends on how long you're traveling and what you're comfortable for. Uh, I will say I know that I travel with several folks that they could wear the same suit for five days and and feel totally comfortable with it. That's not my thing. I kind of like my clothes clean. Um, Full disclosure, clean underwear is non-negotiable for me and doesn't matter if I'm going for 30 days. That's just one of those things, but that's me. Perhaps you are comfortable with washing your, your dress shirt in the sink and wearing that a couple more times. 
perhaps you're comfortable sending it out to be laundered at the hotel and pay the eight, nine dollars, whatever it is, that's fine too. And those kinds of things will help you reduce what is in your suitcase. If it's a long-term trip and you have to pack a carry-on, I still applied the same concepts because it's so easy to start thinking about all of the things that you need to take on your trip. And before you know it, you have this giant pile of clothes that is going with you. And early on when I first started traveling, I always erred on the side of caution and was concerned about making sure I had exactly what I needed. And I might want this shirt for later. I might need a sweater. I might need a jacket. What if I need another pair of shoes? And what I was finding is that I would come home and more than half my suitcase was only getting cleaned because it had been in an airplane underbelly storage area for a couple of days and smelled like airplane. And it wasn't because I wore it. I was taking out more than half of my suitcase and half of it I wore, half of it I didn't. And I kept thinking, there has to be a better way to do this. I need to be able to get this down into a carry-on because if I'm taking all of this stuff, it's just it's just a waste of time waiting around at the baggage terminal, waste of time having to launder those clothes when I come home that I didn't even wear, all on the thought that I might possibly want this. I think early on it was more a concept of that feeling from home, you're away from home and well, I really like my favorite shirt, so perhaps I'll want to wear it. And there is some comfort when you're far away from home of having some of your things around you. And I get that, but I think that after a while, I became more comfortable with the concept of less is more and efficiency made my trip feel a lot less stressful and a lot less harried. When you are at the airport when you land wherever you go and you're worried about your bag arriving and that feeling in the pit of your stomach as everybody has now gotten their bag and the turnstile is just going around and around and around and your bag is not coming out and you have that sick feeling that you're going to be wearing what you're wearing for a very long time. Um, I kind of became a little bit more comfortable with a few less clothes to make sure I at least had some options and like I said, you throw a Tide packet in there, you can do some laundry. The next step is packing up the suitcase and zipping it up and feeling comfortable with what you've got. Uh, carry-on, I always overpack my carry-on. That's definitely an area where I go a little crazy with because I don't sleep on the airplane. 10 hours, 15 hour flights, whatever, maybe I can get an hour or two at most. I really have a hard time sleeping on, on airplanes with or without uh, melatonin or any of that type of thing. So I always pack my computer, you know, your tablet and your, your phone. I always have a book in there, a notebook, different things to keep me entertained. I also don't like airplane food. In the beginning, it was quite exciting to be on an airplane and eat airplane food and you know the the first couple of times you get an upgrade you even get fancier food but it didn't take very long for it to get very old uh, for those of us out there that travel quite regularly the chicken or pasta options really get kind of bland and boring after a while and all just taste like mush so I typically pack my own snacks and my own food so that I have things to eat uh, 
during the flight. My other problem with airplane food is a lot of times I'm not ready to eat. You know, they have a they have a schedule that they have to keep. They want to get the folks on the plane, get you fed, get you off to sleep so that they can prepare whatever they need to prepare for the next meal service on on the flight and the flight attendants can get a little bit of a rest before they have to come back out and do the next meal service. And, you know, if you're taking a flight at 8 o'clock and you just ate before you got on the plane, do I want to eat another very heavy airplane-dense TV dinner three hours after I've already just had dinner? Probably not. But that's the only option you have at that time to eat. So that's the time you eat. And then for me, I always felt kind of miserable in that airplane chair sitting up with that airplane brick sitting in my stomach. So I packed my own stuff. I recently went on a trip with family and I got a lot of raised eyebrows at the giant bag of trail mix and the bag of Cheez-Its and the bag of vanilla wafers and the peanut butter and all of the different things in my carry-on bag. But we got delayed and then the kids didn't like the food on the plane and our flight took longer than necessary and people were looking at the snacks in my bag. You know, the kids were asking, could I have some of your crackers? And I was glad that I had the nibbles to provide them, right? Because in my experience, these things happen on travel and it's always nice to have something that you know you're going to like when you're kind of miserable because you've been delayed or you're, you've hit a headwind or you have to go around weather and you're in the air longer than you expected. So carry-on is kind of a personal thing. You only have so much space in carry-on, it's got to be able to fit under that chair in front of you. I had a backpack that worked for years and that was my work backpack that I took on travel. It had a section for my laptop. It had lots of pockets. It had lots of places to put things in. Funny enough, I saw a lot of people out and about around the world that had the same backpack. Everybody kind of finds their own cadence with respect to carry-on, I think. There are some folks that can pack very little because they're going to get on the airplane, eat the food, lean the chair back, and go to sleep. And I envy you. I envy you so much because I would have loved to have been able to do that on many a flight. It probably would have saved me a lot of jet-lagged hours. But kind of with carry-on, just pack some things that you think you might want. Always pack some power cords. You pack your medicines and things like that that you might need on the flight or if your baggage should get lost. I always packed a change of clothes, particularly if I was landing wherever I was going and had to go straight to a, a business meeting or a conference or a workshop or something like that so that I had clean clothes to change into either on the plane before we landed or right at the airport for two reasons. One, I didn't want to have to start digging in my suitcase because if you've got everything rolled and neat and tight and everything in the suitcase, rummaging around on a, on a floor of an airport bathroom is really tricky. And then your suitcase gets all cruddy. So I always put the outfit in my carry-on. That way I can just take my little bag to the bathroom, change, and be done with it. It's also good if you are checking your baggage and your bag hasn't made it yet. Or while you're waiting at baggage check, instead of standing there, you can go to the bathroom, change your clothes, and then come out and, oh, look, then your bag's there. You're not standing around there waiting with everybody else for your bag to come. If you can't tell, I find waiting at baggage check absolutely infuriating. But uh, it is one of those necessary evils of traveling. All right, so now you've gotten where you're going to be. 
wherever it may be. If it's in the same time zone, then most of this doesn't apply. You're not going too far. But if you're in a different time zone, even a couple hours, say three to five hours, depending on if you're headed east or west of your time zone, jet lag is really challenging on work travel, right? Because you want to be at your best for whatever it is that you're doing, for the speech that you're giving, for the negotiations that you're conducting, for the oversight that you're providing, whatever it may be, you want to be at your best. And inevitably, traveling is exhausting, even if you're in your same time zone. The whole process of it, packing, getting through security, going to board the plane, waiting in line, hurry up, wait in line, hurry up, get on the plane. You know, the whole process is just exhausting. But add to that changing time zone, and it it really can put a huge burden on us and being our energetic peppy selves. There are some folks that kind of feed off of it. I think I work with a few people that would get off a plane and they would have so much energy. And I would argue that's because they got to take a nap and I didn't. A couple of things with respect to adjusting to jet lag and time zones that I found helpful to me. And I think early on when I was traveling, I read a lot of different articles on how to deal with jet lag because I wanted to be an efficient traveler with my time. And there's lots of different suggestions out there. So mine are just more to add to the mix based on my experience. It's going to be one of those things. If you're traveling regularly, you'll come up with a system that works for you. Don't get discouraged because you will find a system that works. It probably took me a year to really find a good balance. And part of it was that I wasn't always going to the same time zone. Sometimes I was going behind six hours or forward six hours or behind 12 hours or ahead three hours. It, it, it really varied. So I really had to try and find um, a good formula for how long I was off my time zone and how long I was going to be on the trip and what worked best for, for my sleep schedule. For the shorter trips, if you're going within the United States, say three hours, or even if you're going forward to Europe where it's six hours, if your trip is only a few days, I found that trying to stay on home time zone as close as I could was very effective. You know, if, if I'm going to the West Coast, I'm here in Washington, D.C. area, right? So if I'm going to the West Coast for three hours, I could get up early in the morning and do some work, be online for, for folks back home at my home office, still conduct my business during the business hours of the West Coast time zone, still even get in uh, an early dinner with colleagues or drinks or whatever you need to do for a little bit of that, that networking piece, and still get to bed by, say, 12 o'clock, which would be 9 o'clock East West Coast time, right? So I could really kind of keep things on time zone as much as I could. Maybe I was up an hour late or two hours later than I normally would. I typically never went to bed at midnight on my home time zone. I'm kind of an early-to-bed, early-to-rise person. But for that purpose, it really doesn't mess with your schedule as badly. And then when you come home, if it's only a couple of days, then you're still pretty close to time zone. Eh, maybe you're an hour off here or there, but it's not something that you couldn't recover from in a weekend. The longer time zone changes are a little bit trickier. And I always found going east a little bit easier than going west. Perhaps because early on I was doing a lot of Europe travel and that's kind of where I... I 
cut my teeth on the on the whole jet lag thing. I don't know. I, I think that going west, going to Asia was was trickier for me because it is a significant. You're talking nine, sometimes twelve hours. And that's just your your time is upside down at that point. And one piece of advice that someone gave me early on was that when you land, your instinct is to go and take a nap, particularly for those of us that don't really sleep on the plane. All I wanted to do when I landed was go to the hotel and take a nap. And if it's really bad, I would do this. You know, if I flew in on a Sunday and I didn't have to work until Monday, then I could go to the hotel and take a nap. But I really had to be vigilant about keeping it to an hour or two. And quite frankly, I always did much better if I didn't go and take a nap. I did better if I went and took a walk, get some fresh air. The sun is shining wherever you are. Your body and your your regular rhythms understand that it's still daytime there. And the fresh air, having something to drink, lots and lots of water, having something to eat, kind of helps you acclimate a little bit. You're still going to be exhausted. You just are. You're going to be exhausted. And part of it is just pushing through. That first night, my goal was always to make it till at least 8.30. And a couple of the folks that I travel with regularly, we used to joke about that. You know, we, by 5 o'clock, 5.30, 6 o'clock, it's like, go get a beer or something. Whatever you can do to make it to 8, 8.30. Because if you can make it till 8, 8.30, you could sleep until 2 a.m. And that sounds crazy. Because who wants to sleep until 2 a.m. and then be wide awake? The time was not important. It was the amount of sleep that was important. Because if you could get six hours sleep on your first night landing, that was really good. Because you figure 2 a.m. in Europe time, if they're six hours ahead, depending on daylight savings, that is 8 o'clock. So you're most likely going to be thinking that you're at the office at 2 a.m. So if you could make it till then, which would be at least a couple hours past your normal wake-up time, then you've done good, at least for your first night. Typically for me, and I know uh, several folks that I traveled with, we used to always say that either the second or the third night was the hardest. Because the first night, obviously, you crash hard. Um, You're going to wake up really early based on your time zone, but at least you get those six hours and and you can get a pretty good chunk of, of rest. Nights two and nights three, at least for me, were hourly wake-ups. It didn't matter what time I went to bed. I didn't get much sleep on either of those nights. And I, you know, by day three, you're dragging, and that's the night I used to get a really good night's sleep because I would just wake up at 12 o'clock and then 1 o'clock and then 2 o'clock, and I, I don't know if it was because I was worried about oversleeping. I always set at least two alarms, but... Typically, I woke up every hour. Speaking of alarms, always set two alarms. Do not rely on the hotel to call you and wake you up. You can call them and ask for a a wake-up call. I often did that as well as a backup, but I found that they were not very often timely. Uh, If I asked for a 9 o'clock wake-up, they would sometimes call it 9.10 or 9.20. And if you're trying to give yourself every extra minute of sleep, then you're going to be running late in the morning. And the last thing you want to do is be jet-lagged and stressed out and running around like crazy to go wherever you need to be going. So if you are only going to rely on a a wake-up call from the hotel, then I would encourage you to at least add 15 minutes to your time 
to make sure that they wake you up in plenty of time. Nowadays, everybody has a smartphone. Typically, we have a tablet. I would set an alarm on my phone. I would set an alarm on my tablet, and I would have a wake-up call. I didn't typically use the alarm clock in the room. Um, I think I just never really trusted that it was going to work, depending on where you are. Sometimes they can look really sketchy if there even is one in the room. Uh, Some of the TVs have alarm clocks, so you could set the alarm on the TV to wake you up. Quite frankly, I stopped doing that because most of the TVs that have alarms, when they alarm, it's terrifying. You're in a strange country, you're jet lagged, you're half asleep, and that thing starts going off. It is not a very gentle wake up, and I found that it was very stressful to wake me up in the morning, so I typically stopped doing that. That was always a fun thing of travel. I can't tell you how many times I woke up in the middle of the night in a panic, knowing that I was late for something. I had no idea where I was. And in the thick of when I was traveling really extensively, sometimes I would wake up and I couldn't even remember what country I was in. And I had heard about people saying that and I thought, well, how do you not know where you are? Come on, you just arrived there, you had dinner, whatever it may be. No, no, it was a... Uh, I chuckle about it now because I can recall waking up sometimes and thinking and you look around and it takes a few minutes for that that fog to clear and you look around at the hotel room and of course one hotel room looks like the next. So it's very easy to think, where where am I right now? And particularly if you're doing layovers. Sometimes, uh, so I traveled to Sri Lanka and I had to do a layover in uh, Hong Kong. So you're in a hotel in Hong Kong, but you're only there for maybe eight hours and you wake up and you think, am I in Sri Lanka yet? This doesn't look like Sri Lanka hotel. I don't know where I am. And then you remember, oh yes, I'm in a layover in Hong Kong. Just some of the the fun parts of jet lag. The other thing I want to suggest for in your hotel room is leave the curtains open. We want to make sure we get a good night's sleep and Obviously, depending on, again, depending on where you're at in the world and the time of year, I traveled to Belgium a lot and they had really late sun. So in June, the sun wouldn't go down until like 10, 11 o'clock at night, which at that time, it really doesn't matter because you're so tired, you're probably going to go to sleep anyway. I was always more worried about the morning time because when I closed the curtains, if the room feels dark, then you have no concept of whether or not you're supposed to be waking up. And your body doesn't do any of that slow waking that can make you feel less groggy and less drowsy. So even if you set the alarm and you leave the curtains open, as the sun is coming up wherever you are, your body's already starting to know that morning is coming. And unless you've taken some kind of sleep medicine, like an Ambien or something like that, and you're sleeping really heavily, your body is going to start knowing that it's morning time and goes through some of the the processes that it needs to go to to help you wake up. And I found that I felt less exhausted in the morning if I left the blinds open. The last thing about jet lag is water. Drink lots and lots and lots of water. I found that the more water I drank, and I typically drink a decent amount of water in the day. I mean, here at my desk, I have a a 30 ounce cup and I fill it probably two or three times just during the work hours. So I I drink a lot of water in general, but on travel, it's very easy to get dehydrated. One, because on the airplane, 
They only come around with those little sippy cups because they want to minimize traffic to the bathroom. And two, because your 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 body is tired, right? And then you're you're getting to other countries where you can't just drink out of the faucet. You have to rely on the the hopefully the one or two free bottles of water that they have on the counter for you. Even if you have iodine tablets or things like that, the water, depending on where you are, you have to be careful about the water. I always traveled with a water bottle so that before I left U.S. airports, I could fill up my water bottle and I could have that with me on the plane and drink water. And then in the hotel rooms, most of the times they have hot pots where you can boil water for tea. And I would, first thing I would do when I got to the hotel room was start boiling water as I was doing whatever with my clothes, if I was unpacking because I was there for a while or or just kind of getting situated in the hotel room, I would be boiling water and I would fill my water bottle with clean water and then boil an extra one so that I would have that to have in the bathroom to brush my teeth with. So that way I always had plenty of water. You Oftentimes they have little shops nearby that you can go and buy a couple of bottles of of water as well so that you can constantly stay hydrated and do that through your whole trip. I mean, not just your first night there. The more water you can drink, the better. Typically in different places that I went, you know, you go to dinner and you want to try the local wine or you try the local beer. And I looked forward to trying those different things, but it is also very important that you hydrate with water as well, because not only are you jet lagged, but now you're adding alcohol, so you're getting further dehydrated and you're tired. So drink the water. Okay, so the last thing is not really about packing or preparing. It's more about dealing with delays and hiccups in your travel. Okay, so they've lost your bag. You have to go and talk to the airlines in a foreign country about how and when you're going to get your bag, where you're going to get it. Most airlines will bring it to your hotel, so be sure to ask them for that. A lot of airlines will offer you a care package if they lost your bag and it's going to be delayed and it'll have things like a toothbrush and toothpaste and soap and things like that in it. Some Airlines will offer you a stipend or a, a, a small amount of money so that you can go and buy some clean clothes. If they don't offer any of these things, ask for them because it may just be that you need to ask for it. They don't offer it up. So I've had experience with all of those things. And depending on the airline, you want to ask for whatever you can get because you do not have your bag now. And it could be a day, it could be a week. And they're going to tell you it'll be here soon, but they are not always sure that it's going to be here soon. They want to keep you as happy as possible when they know you're not very happy right now. So ask them for a care package. Ask them for money so that you can go to the store and buy a toothbrush and toothpaste and a change of clothes. If you don't ask and they don't offer it, you, you won't get it. So it doesn't hurt to ask regardless of what airline it is. It could be an international airline that you, you've never flown before. It always is worth the try to ask. For delays, if you are stuck in an airport for a long time, there are, there are things that you can ask for. You know, you can ask for a blanket. If you're sleeping in an airport, you can ask for a blanket and a pillow, and, and they should give that to you. You can 
ask to be rebooked on a different flight. If your flight is delayed and it's going to be delayed for eight, nine hours, go to the counter and ask and see if you can get on a different flight. If your flight has been canceled and now they've automatically rebooked you, don't take that automatic rebook because that's the computers doing that. That's not someone thinking about, oh, this person really needs to get home. Let me try and get them on this flight. No, it's great that they rebooked you because that means at a minimum, you still have a ticket home, but it doesn't have to be your only option. So go to the ticketing counter or the service counter and talk to them. See if there's any way you can change flights. Perhaps you need to get home sooner. Try and get on an earlier flight. You might be able to do standby. There's a lot of wiggle room with adjusting for delays and travel complications. It is not a fun process. Typically, it takes a really long time of standing at at various counters, talking to a bunch of people. But I will tell you, the nicer and friendlier that you can be to that person on the other side of the counter, the much further you're going to get. You may even get an upgrade without even asking it if you are nice to them. It has happened. And I have watched people go to the counters and bitch out whatever person is behind there as if they're the person that has created their entire problem with their travel and they get nowhere. Sometimes they get somewhere because they've just intimidated that poor gate agent so much that they just want to get them out of there. And if that's going to be your approach, you know, that's your business. But I have found that I have gotten a lot further with being as nice as I can to those people. And I, I, you have to think, if you are delayed, you have an entire plane full of people that are delayed, and all of those folks are going to this person and taking it out on that person. So if you are the one person that is trying to joke around with them and say, hey, you know, this is just part of travel, kind of stinks, sorry, you're having such a bad day too because you know that person on the other side of the counter is not having a good day either. They may be going home to their bed that night, but they're still not having a very good work day. And we've all had lousy work days. So try to think about that because it really will pay dividends in the end if you are nice. Some people are just gonna be grouchy and it doesn't matter how nice you are, they're just still gonna be grouchy. That's not your problem, right? Just shrug that off, that's that's their deal. But most of the time, if I'm really nice to the people behind the counter, it really works out in your favor. The last thing I'll say about that is, along those lines that I said, if your plane is delayed, there are two, three, four hundred people that are all delayed, and they're all thinking, I need to figure out what I'm gonna do to change. So the sooner you can address your changes, the better off you'll be. If you are still at the hotel and you get a notification that your flight has been canceled, immediately pick up that phone and call the airlines and see what you can do. Because if there's one seat left on that flight that leaves earlier, if you're the first person that calls, you're the person that's going to get it. So the sooner you can address any complications or delays with your flights, the better off you'll be because there'll be more options because everybody else hasn't, hasn't gotten in there yet. I will say that one thing to... Note when you're talking to whatever agent about delays or complications with your flight, if you have checked your bag, mention that to the gate agent. Make sure you bring it to their attention that you have a checked bag because most of my lost bags, believe it or not, were on delayed flights. One was on a flight 
where I was delayed nine and a half hours. And for some reason, my suitcase didn't make it on that airplane. I'm not sure why not to this day. Apparently, it made it two flights after my flight. Common sense would dictate that, oh, they had plenty of time to get my suitcase on the airplane because they didn't have to worry about a tight connection. But I had much better luck with 15-minute connections and my bag making it than long connections. And I, I don't know if it's because they do figure, oh, we have plenty of time to get there and then it doesn't get there or, or whatever happens. I, I don't know. But make sure if you're dealing with a travel complication or delay that you mention to the agent that you're speaking to that you have checked a bag. And if you, you should have your little sticker that has the number so that they can just check and make sure that your bag is going to connect there. I always say that if your bag gets lost coming home, I mean, it's just a bag full of dirty laundry. Typically, your home airport is going to deliver it to your house. And if they say no, tell them yes. Encourage them, yes, I would like you to bring it to my house or bring it to my work because they will do it if you push them. They will not charge you. They will bring it to your home because they have lost the baggage. You have work to do. You have to go back to work. You have to go on another trip. You have to do whatever you have to do. You have to get back to your life. They need to bring your bag to your house. They will hire a taxi and drop it off. They do this all the time. So do not let them tell you that because you're in your home country, in your hometown, not far from your airport, that you need to come back to the airport and pick it up. If you don't mind doing it, that's fine. But they should bring it to your house. All right. So with that, those are my my nuggets of wisdom for traveling. I hope you're getting to go to some amazing places. Take a little bit of time to actually see some of them. I have a lot of regrets for places that I went that I didn't get to see more than I did, but I got to see some pretty awesome things. So take pictures. Every time you're in a taxi cab, see and look and explore all the different things that you can and try to get some sleep on those airplanes. Safe travels. Have a great day. All right, so thanks for tuning in to Not Your Ordinary Girl. I hope you enjoyed it. Head on over to notyourordinarygirl.com and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Feel free to drop me a note with any topics you'd like to hear about or feedback, and please go ahead and recommend it to your friends. Until next time, remember to always stand up and be confident, stand by all that you do and say with integrity, and stand out, because after all, there's only one you.